Turn over to Luke chapter 10, and then we're going to pray. I'm excited about this new series. We're going to go four weeks talking about good questions. Good questions. Just kind of an a, a interesting fact. There were 103, uh, 183 questions that were asked of Jesus, but Jesus asked 307 questions. So he asked more questions than were asked of him. So questions are good. God does not expect us to be robots. He can handle your question. Isn't that awesome? We serve a God who doesn't tell us, you know, don't ask any questions. You know, as parents sometimes you're like, just, just do what I say, don't ask any questions. God likes it when we ask questions. That's good. That's good. Are you at Luke 10? Lord, let, uh, let us hear your voice this morning. Uh, we're here for you. We're here for the Holy Spirit to bear witness with our spirit that we're your child, that, that we have a place at your table, that, that you counted uh, us worthy in Jesus, that you love us with an everlasting love and that you desire to answer the desires of our heart, the questions that we have and the questions that the world has. We thank you, Father, for bringing this in, into this new series with an inquisitive, humble mindset, Lord, that we are desiring to know from our heart those heart issues that you address in your word. Show us, teach us, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> you know, we're lifelong learners. Just when, just when you see something that the Lord shows you in his word, it opens up more that you don't know. Right? Did you understand that? That you never stop learning. That you're always developing this insatiable appetite for the word. Not just knowledge. Not just uh, facts. But revelation and understanding is the revelation of God's word that brings about change in your life. Remember when Jesus asked Peter, who, or he asked all of his disciples, who do, who do men say that I am? And Peter was, he was always quick on his feet, first with the answer. He wanted to be first in line. Peter said, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commended him because uh, Peter didn't get that information from any other disciple. It wasn't like they took a vote and then Peter was the spokesman and he, he was the one that gave the answer. No, he got the answer from God the Father because he spent time with God the Father, right? He saw Jesus spending time with the Father. Peter spent time with the Father. He received revelation from the Father and he had the answer to his question. Um, so people all around us are asking questions. 
Do you feel that? I mean, you go to work today uh, or tomorrow. Today's Sunday. If you're, if you're off, you're probably here. But uh, you go to work and people are asking questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What, what does, you know, they're wanting opinions. We've never lived in a day where there has been such inquisitive minds. And I think sometimes the, the, the Internet opened that up to us. Everybody says, well, I'll, I'll just Google that. Anybody here ever used Google to ask a question? And now you don't even have to ask Google. You just say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Siri. And uh, half the time they don't give you the right answer because they don't understand the question that you ask. And then the other half they don't give you an answer because they don't know. So, I don't know. Siri's trying to answer me here because I just talked to her and she says, she's a, she said, um, I'm not sure I understand. Anyway, it came up there. <laughs> I'm glad I have, I have it silenced. <laughs> Crazy times we live in. Uh, I didn't plan that illustration, but here, here's a question for you. Are you listening? Are you listening at the questions that people are asking you? And maybe that the questions that are, they're asking God. Are we, are we engaging with people who are looking for answers? I believe that people are looking for the truth. People are always hungry for the truth. God knew that because he created a truth vacuum in us. We, we want to know the truth. And, and he created in each, uh, each heart of, of each person a desire to know the truth because it's only the truth that we know and understand and walk in that sets us free. People desire to be set free. And so they're looking for Bible answers. That's why they'll say, what does the... If they know that you uh, count on the Bible as your, as your authority, they will ask you, even though they may not be a Christian, they will ask you, what does the Bible say about? What does the Bible say about this or about that? And we believe that the Bible is a book of answers. But it's not just a book full of answers... It is a book about the answer. The answer is from Genesis to Revelation. His name is Jesus. He is the answer to any and every question. But it's not spelled out in black and white or even black and, or white and red. <laughs> Specifically, the cultural questions that are being asked today. It's not as easy to find some of the difficult questions that people are asking today. So we took a list of 10 questions and posted them out there on different uh, social media platforms that we have, our, our uh, phone app, mobile app, our Facebook page, and then our web page. And people voted on a list of 10 questions. And we're going to go over those questions, uh, four of those questions, in the next four weeks. The question that we're going to address today is, what is my responsibility when it comes to social issues? These are popular questions. You notice that there are a lot of social, there, there's a lot of social activity going on in the world today. You know, back in my day growing up, I remember that, uh, you know, it was uh, save the whales. You know, I mean, the causes that uh, people came up with, the social issues, like let's 
save the whales and save the trees. And, you know, it, today there's um, everything that you can imagine. And I think there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, our culture is cause-driven. And we've experienced some tremendous change in culture due to the advent of technology and the Internet. And we live in a 24-7 news cycle where you can find out what's going on in any part of the world at any time of the day, and things are constantly changing. The world has become smaller. You can find out if there's been, you know, a, a, a landslide over in the middle of Europe in the middle of the night if you're just up. You, you, news is going on all the time, and so the world is smaller. We're more aware of social issues. I call it, in your notes there, I wrote the word hyper-awareness. <laughs> There's a hyper-awareness. Even the, the news and the media are projecting what's going to happen even before it happens because they want to be the first one to say, we told you so, right? And it's, it, it, it's amazing how technology is being used to play out uh, the future. It's... it's if you don't know the Lord, it could be very frightening. But there are many causes today and many campaigns. Um, there's so many causes today, we're not sure what we should participate in. There's a trend called charity at the checkout. And I'm sure you have been accosted by charity at the checkout. You go to the grocery store and you check out... And they tell you, you know, uh, you, you, have to, you have to be quick on your feet. Do I swipe? Do I insert? Do I chip or do I swipe? But whenever you do what you do, the question comes, would you like to donate to uh, the March of Dimes? Or would you like to donate to the community food pantry? Just press the button on the keypad you know, as you're checking out at Kroger, as you're checking out at PetSmart, would you like to donate to the Humane Society, to the animal, you know, shelter? And, and would you like to donate? And they're almost asking you, are you a good person? <laughs> they're smiling. Are you, are you a bad person? Are you a good person? And so you feel like you're almost obligated to give... And, you know, I know no one in here has said, well, I donated just earlier today. But the other day I was coming out of Sam's and I noticed that there, were, uh, there was a table there with all of this merchandise on there uh, for veterans. And if you love our veterans, if you love our country, if, you're a, uh, uh, if you have a heart of red, white, and blue, you will contribute to the veterans fund at, at the Sam's exit. You know, it, there's always something. Uh, my wife is famous for um, giving to people that are just on the corner with a sign. We've been, we've been stopped at one time. Now, I'm not going to tell you every incident that we've experienced, but uh, she's really quick. We stopped at a four-way stop one time over in Lawrenceville. She's out of the car with cash going to give somebody some money. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. But it's just her heart. 
there's a mercy motivation that overtakes you sometimes. It's the compassion of the Lord when you see somebody in need. And we're going to find out how we deal with that today. But I'm telling you, people are, uh, there, there, there are causes and issues out there um, that, that we need to see uh, as valid, as viable. And the Lord would use us um, to, to give. But what is our response? I mean, surely... You know, the thoughts that, that go through the, my mind, that go through your mind, am, am I giving somebody something that will fund their addiction? Am I being heartless because I don't give somebody something? And it seems like there's a cause fatigue, that we're fatigued with all the causes that we face. And we feel bad because we don't support everything that we see. And then we come to a scripture like 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 that says, you know, that we should be so abundantly blessed, the Amplified says that we should be so abundantly blessed that we give to every good work and charitable donation. And we wonder why, if we're not giving to everything, then we may not be as blessed as we think we should be, right? So what is my response? This is a good question. What is my response every time that there is a social issue? And actually, this is an old question. You're there in Luke 10, uh, the Good Samaritan. Let's just begin reading in verse 25 uh, of Luke 10. And you'll see that even Jesus was asked a question. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus had two encounters with two different people that asked the same question. And Jesus used both these verses from Deuteronomy and Leviticus to answer what they were asking. So Jesus was no stranger to questions, again, like I said before. And uh, he, Jesus himself asked questions. Verse 28, Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So this man understood... What Jesus was going to ask him, Jesus answered him, and then he asked another question. He understood that it was important to do good to his neighbor, but then he wanted to qualify that. And that's, that's kind of the struggle that we have. How far do I love my neighbor? Who is my, ne who is my neighbor, and how far do I love him? How much do I give? Right? That's an important question. Because if God created us with a heart filled with mercy, and God surely expects his compassion to flow through us, how far do we go in that? Do you hear the questions? And we ask those same questions. How far? What is my response to these social issues? I think a lot of us feel this way. And uh, 
We want to be involved and we want to move with compassion. We just are not sure where it ends. Do I sell everything? Do I get rid of my home? Do I get rid of my car, get rid of all my stuff? Do I get, give up all my hobbies and dedicate my life to serving the needs of people around me? What would Jesus do? This is an old question. So, Jesus tells a story about the Good Samaritan. And I want to go ahead and read what Jesus said, and then we're going to back up and break it down. Verse 30, then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So not only was he beat up, he was left for half dead, and they robbed him. Now by chance, verse 31, a certain priest came down that road, and when he had saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more that you spend, when I come back again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go, and do thou likewise. So, in our response to social issues, there's three must-dos. We must do three things. Number one, we have to see past ourselves. Seeing past ourselves. Um, this question of what I do to those that I see has to be predicated on seeing somebody first. <laughs> you have to see somebody first. There was a priest that went down the road. There was a Levi that went down the road that saw but ignored. They chose to not look. A lot of people are choosing to not look. But the Samaritan, and I find it very... Um, I, this is what I love about Jesus, that he used the Samaritan. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 says, But a certain Samaritan. But a certain Samaritan. We don't understand the racial tension here in this chapter, but Jesus is speaking to a Jew and telling him a story about a man who became a hero in this parable that was considered less than a person. The Jews and the Samaritans at this time um, were two, not only two different classes of people, that, uh, the Jews thought that Samaritans were less than human. And uh, I think we can relate to this as a, as a country because 
as uh, uncomfortable as it may be, our country has had a past with racial injustice where one race has looked down upon another race and said, you're less than. You're not equal to us. And so here, Jesus is using an outcast to be a hero of the story. It's, it's very important to understand that racial issues didn't, didn't begin and they won't end with America, right? If we see how the Samaritan ministered to this person that was hurt, we'll learn something about racial reconciliation, building bridges in cultures here. The Samaritan took pity on this man when the religious people didn't. The priest and the Levi passed him by. They were on their way. They couldn't stop. They had every reason not to help this man. But the Samaritan had compassion. And so compassion and seeing are tied together. Compassion and seeing are tied together. You can't have compassion on something you don't see. Right? We have to first see. We have to look beyond ourselves. That's the first step in serving. That's the first step in giving. To know that you're not the only one that uh, is in the world. The problem is that seeing someone and really seeing their situation actually takes time. It means slowing down from our busy lives and listening instead of speaking. Can I just tell you that I think our world would be a much more peaceful place if we would stop speaking to each other and just start listening to each other. If we took more of a listening stance or a listening posture. You know, we have in our culture so many opportunities to speak. It's, it's incredible. These platforms that we have, these social media platforms that we build, that we share our thoughts and opinions with each other. And I think it's uh, so much of the reason that we're divided right now as a nation because we're all trying to talk and no one wants to listen. Now, listening requires silence. It requires slowing down. It requires just pausing and saying, I want to hear your story. I've judged you before. I've put you in a category before. But rather than do that now, I just, I just want to back up and I just want to hear you. I want to hear your heart. What's your story? Where are you from? How did you get here? You know... The more that I confront this, this situation, this story, and, and what Jesus is saying through all of this, it, it convicts me of what a judgmental person that I've been in my own life. It shows me how, how centered, self-centered that I've been and overlooked people at, at a hurtful place in their life. And when I've passed people by, it's, it's a missed opportunity for the compassion of the Lord to flow through me. But this Samaritan saw something that the priest and the Levi didn't see or chose not to see. And so we, we have to say to the Lord, show me the needs around me. Now, we don't need to quit our jobs and move to another part of the world to help the poor, right? There's opportunities that present 
themselves to us every day. Have a friend, Pastor Marlon Allen. Some of you know I've talked about Pastor Marlon, and I'm making plans for him to come and just minister to us. But um, Marlon and I are connected at the heart. He's, he's a little darker than I am, but our hearts are the same color. And Marlon called me up on the phone one day, and we can talk like this to each other. He said, hey, brother, I need your white. I said, because I, I really don't know that I'm white. I said, whatever. <laughs> you got it. Whatever. What can I do for you? How can I help you? Because I believe in being a part of, of somebody else's vision. It's not all about me, right? And so this brother of mine called me and said, I need you. And before I could even say why, I said, yes, you see that. It's an opportunity. We're connected at the heart. And he says, you know, he says, I serve as a chaplain on uh, the high school over here, Decula High School, the sports program, basketball, baseball, football. He's the chaplain. And he says, you know, I'm over here at the high school all the time, and I see some of the disciplinary problems, and I see that it happens to, to be a lot of the time African-American young men. And he said, and he's African-American, and I say that because there's a connection there. He says, it's time that that stop, and I want to do something about it. So he visited with the principal, and the principal says, whatever you need, I will help you. And so Marlon prayed, because he's a praying man, he's a pastor, and he says, this is what I have in my heart to do. Will you participate with me? I said, absolutely, whatever we can do. In fact, our men's group have been praying about how to mentor young men two years ago, wasn't it, George? A year and a half? We were moved in our heart to begin praying that way and start looking for ways that we could help in the community, guys, okay? This, this is listening to the hurting somewhere, right? Making ourselves available to help somebody other than ourselves. He connected us with a program uh, that developed into what's called Five Star Academy, where Every, mor every Thursday morning, I won't go into all the details. Maybe I'll save some of the details for a, a later sermon. But every Thursday morning, there are five guys from our church that participate in this program to help these ninth grade young men first pass their classes so that they can go to the 10th grade, right? And four of us guys are Caucasian. One, one of us guys is African-American. I'm not going to tell you which one. But I'm telling you, the problems in our community become the problem of the church when we make ourselves available. Right? When we see people. We see people. And we see past color. We see, we see issues that need to be addressed. And how can we help to meet those issues. This, this message is near and dear to my heart because I believe that we should be involved in social issues. I believe that we should address, as the church, we should address from the word injustices. Right? 
I know this, I know there's tension in the room. We should feel that because there are people that are hurting that sometimes we walk by, all of us, sometimes we walk by. We see them, but we pretend not to. You know, different people see different needs. Um, Bob, Bob Van here, he sees ex-felons needing to re-enter the world. My friend Marlon, like I said, he saw a need in the high school where he's a chaplain for the sports program. Kim here sees, she's involved, she sees a need at the women's shelter in uh, Athens, right? Sharita's involved in volunteering with the Eagles Ranch, the boys' home, and other things. She's been involved with, with things in her past. But just a couple of people seeing different needs, we don't have to move out of the country for opportunities to come to us. People are broken. They're hurt. They're laying on the side. They've been beat up. They've been robbed. What can we do to bring healing? The second point is engage. We have to engage with the hurting. You know, I, I wrote a note here that I didn't read, but what do you see? I was making note of all of, of examples of what other people see, but what do you see? What do you see? What opportunities present, present themselves to you? The second point was we've got to engage with the hurting. We must engage with the hurting. It's not just enough to see people and take pity on them. We have to actively get involved, meaning we have to get down into their world and go where they are. That's a risk. That's a risk. It was a risk for the Samaritan that stopped because this man had been beaten up near death and robbed. What if whoever had done that to him was hiding out and waiting to do that for the next person that came by to help? There's risk in that. There's risk in engaging with the hurting. How about the uh, inconvenience? You know, what if the Good Samaritan said, you know, I've got places to go, people to see, things to do. Nobody has time for this, especially me. My time is too precious. I can't do this. The inconvenience. The inconvenience of getting down with somebody who's in a mess you know, the Samaritan's journey became a little bit more difficult because he was caring for a man who couldn't care for himself. And one of the things about caring for messy people is that some of their mess gets on you. And all of us who were parents learned that, right? <laughs> caring for messy people. When your child got messy and you tried to clean them up, I learned that by changing diapers. Some of the mess gets, out, gets off on you. But that's just what it is to care for hurting people. We cannot be so removed from feeling their hurt or being moved with compassion and touched with the feelings of their infirmity that we simply just want to write a check and say, we're done. Check that off our list and we're good. We're good to go. Look at James chapter 2 and verse 14. James 2 and 14. This is the brother of Jesus. 
The brother of Jesus said this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What is he saying? James is saying sympathy isn't good enough. Empathy isn't even good enough. There comes a time where we have to act. We have to make someone else's problems our problems. We have to engage with the hurting, and that's what it means, to make someone else's problem my problem. You know, the Samaritan could have said, this wasn't my problem. I wasn't attacked by robbers and thieves. You were sorry for you. Right? But Christians ought to be the best at doing this. Can I say that again? Christians ought to be the best about making someone else's problem our problem because we serve a God who made our problem his problem. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son. And Jesus came and he died for us. He made our problem his problem. And so God calls us to make someone else's problem our problem. Right? We have to see past ourselves. We have to engage with the hurting. And I realize that this is uncomfortable. Because it does point out how much of our lives are centered on ourselves. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Hebrews 4:15. Jesus came and he lived a life of selflessness. He lived a life we could say that was not focused on himself. Jesus was focused on us. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Or we could say that the exact opposite. We do have a high priest that can sympathize with our weakness. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Right? So Jesus can sympathize with us in our weakness. He is touched with the feeling of our weakness, our infirmity. So we have to identify with others and engage with them. And that's the key to releasing this compassion that the Lord has put in us for people. Do you see that? It's important. This is the way that God designed us to reach out of ourselves and to be involved in someone else's life. It opens the door for God to do miracles. It opens the door for his love to flow. It opens the door for people to come into a relationship with Jesus. And so he put us here to see past ourselves, to engage the hurting. And number three, the third point, is to give generously. The Samaritan gave generously. He provided a place. This man who was beaten, destitute, left for dead, robbed, Samaritan bandaged him up, 
took him, put him on his own animal. Don't know if it was a donkey or a horse, doesn't matter, but it was transportation to get him to the hotel. He walks in, says, hey, I'm going to pay this guy's bill for as long as he needs to stay here to get put back together. I've got another appointment I've got to go to, but I'm coming back and any incidentals, anything over and above what I'm giving you today, I'll come back and take care of. Isn't that awesome? It shows a sacrifice. He could have said, you know, this is all I've got in my pocket. If this can somehow help this guy, maybe you could put some with it because he's not my total responsibility. No, he went over and above and said, listen, I know it may take more than what I have here, but I'll come back and I'll pay the guy's bill. How generous is that? How much uh, of the heart of God is that? It, it really does ask us how generous we are with, with people. In, and in our giving, what are we looking for in return? Do, 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 do we want to be commended? Or is it all about helping someone who needs help? Someone that's hurting unjustly. The Samaritan committed himself because his heart was bigger than the need. Every person in here's heart. You have a heart. God gave you a heart. He created you with a heart that is so big. And I've seen some of these big hearts in here. Your heart is bigger than any need that you will ever face. If you'll live by your heart instead of by your wallet or your treasure or the thing, your bank account, if you'll live by your heart, God will exceed the need. If you move by your heart, if you're sensitive to the Lord and open your heart, then the generosity begins to flow. Look at James, last, last scripture, James chapter 1 and verse, verse 27. You know, I'm glad that Jesus put a financial component or a financial piece in this story. Because, you know, in our nation, in our day, and in our time, we live in the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth. But I think sometimes we take pride in that. And it begins to be a disadvantage rather than an advantage. You, go, you travel to any other country that may be, uh, in some people's minds, impoverished, and there's such a giving spirit. There's such a generosity. There's such a sharing. You come to America, and everybody has a wall up. I say everybody. A lot of people... That's a general statement. I understand that. It seems that more people have a wall up. I've got mine. I earned mine. And so you go get yours. Sometimes this prosperous country can push us into our own little corners so that we build our own little fortresses 
so that we don't want to feel the need and the hurt of other people that have less than we do. Can you see that? And James 127 points that out. Look at this. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. In their trouble. Now, obviously, there's some things behind that that are kind of unwritten, right? To visit them in their trouble means that you have something for them to help them in their trouble. That you're not just going to visit them, check that off of your list to make you feel better that you visited them. Right? God wants us to be generous. He wants us to give. And you may be sitting... (laughs) You may be sitting this morning and saying, well, you know, uh, the United States is rich, but I don't feel so rich today. I mean, I looked at my bank account online before I got here, and, you know, I'm just praying that the checks don't bounce. But listen, the little bit that we have is much with other people. And just because you can't do everything doesn't mean that you can't do something. Don't forget the, the, the account of the widow who had two, two mites, and she gave to Jesus what she had. Jesus commended her for her giving. It's, it's the generosity of our heart, guys. It's not the amount that we give. And just to let you know, if you give to, to Lifeway, we give on a monthly basis to other ministries and other things that are going on all around the world. We're a part of giving because it's part of our culture. It's part of our DNA. We have a heart of compassion that reaches out. And that's what we want, to, we, we want to be known for in our community. So from the word and from this parable that Jesus told about the Samaritan, I think there are a lot of things that we can see. But there are three main, Right? We have to see beyond ourselves. We have to engage the hurting. Slow down. Listen. Listen to their story. Ask questions. People begin to engage when you ask them questions. How did you get here? What can I do to help you? How can I pray with you? And then give generously. Just let the Lord lead you. Right? You can't do everything, but you can do something. Most important question today is, what has the Holy Spirit been saying to you through this message? I'm believing that Lifeway is a generous church, that we love people. We're not just, we're not just wanting to write a check and solve a problem, but we're there rolling up our sleeves saying, hey, what can we do in our community to help those that are hurting those that need to pass high school. You know, thank you guys. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, George. Thank you, Jay. Michael Allen. Who else do we have? Michael, Jay, George, Bob, me, whoever, you know. If you want to help us, join up with us. Listen, this, this mentoring program is going to grow. 
But that's just one thing that the Lord's called us into. And it, 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 was, it was because we prayed, but we weren't out looking for it. I'm going to pray that the Lord would give us opportunity this week, this week, to help somebody that may not have the ability to help to pay you back. Right? This is the gospel. Not just telling people about Jesus, but showing them Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.